0: Walter Pincus has worked in journalism for over 60 years of his life. Until 2015, he was a national security correspondent for the Washington Post. On the cover of his new book called Blown to Hell, it is subtitled America's Deadly Betrayal of the Marshall Islanders. It was in those islands that served as a staging ground for over 60 nuclear tests. Conducted by the U.S. government, beginning in 1946 and ending in 1958, the Castle Bravo test over Bikini Atoll in 1954 was where America executed its largest nuclear detonation—a thousand times more powerful than Hiroshima. Walter Pinkus, what's the story? Of your 1974 trip to the Marshall Islands? Um, I went
1: out there because um, we had had a test in 1954 that put radioactive fallout on an atoll called Rongelap. The bomb went off on Bikini, it was 120 miles away. Five hours later, uh, radioactive fallout came down like snow for five or six hours on 82 Marshallese men, women, children. They didn't know what it was. Children played in it. Uh, It was the first time we'd really seen fallout from a nuclear test. And every year, a doctor from... Uh, Brookhaven Laboratories, the Atomic Energy Commission, went out there to examine these people. And Rongelap became a living laboratory for low-level radiation, but also as a reminder of what could happen if there really was a nuclear exchange and you had fallout miles and miles away from where a nuclear weapon went off. And I wanted to go out there and see for myself.
0: The interesting thing you say in the acknowledgments is that you did a 60,000-word article that you wrote the next year. It it was set in galleys, but was never published. And that would have been in The New Yorker, I assume. But why wasn't it published?
1: Um, I was told um, by by the editor that um, they didn't have two magazines. They had it cut up into two thirty thousand 30,000-word pieces, and they didn't have two magazines in a row in the next two years that could take that longer article.
0: What was your reaction at the time?
1: Uh, I clearly was disappointed. Um funny part is they also wanted some additional material and I had been given a leave by Ben Bradley at the Post uh, to put this thing together and I had to go back to work so um, it was a combination of things but the real thing was didn't have the space.
0: Where did the title of your book Blown to Hell come from?
1: Uh, To be honest, it came from the publisher. (laughs) Uh, It's a line, however, that Bob Hope uh, put on the air uh, when we found out there was some publicity about this test and the Marshallese had been moved off their own atoll. And his line was that they had to find a place far out in the Pacific to do this, and of people uh,
0: to be blown to hell. If you want to go to the Marshall Islands, first of all, how many are there? If you left Washington, D.C., how many miles or hours would it take you to get there, and where are they?
1: Well, they're out in the South Pacific. We needed to find a place to, Size of when we turned to the thermonuclear weapons from just plain atomic bombs. They were worried about fallout in the United States testing in Nevada. Um, so they had to find a place where you could test a bigger bomb, uh, where the trade winds were right, and where you would have the least amount of danger of having radiation uh, hit people. Uh, And the Marshall Islands became the spot. We had it as a trust territory. And we got the UN to sort of allow us to do testing. And so we went there. To get there, uh, you had to sort of fly to Hawaii, And then uh, to a place called Kwajalein, which we still have a big base on. And then uh, we had to take a boat to, when I went out there in 74, it was to Bikini first, and then to Rongelap. It took uh, two days to do it.
0: You wrote a a 60,000-word article, uh, and then they didn't use it. What impact did the fact that you had that in your possession have on you eventually writing this book?
1: Um, To be truthful, the article, and believe it or not, uh, was supposed to be uh, the beginning of a memoir I was going to write 40 years ago. Um, And it just grew and grew. And then when the time came for me to finally leave the post, um, the idea of a memoir came up again. And uh, to be honest, my wife found the galleys, and my editor said, well, let's write a short book um, as a warm-up to a memoir. And it turned out during the Clinton administration, they had released close to 100,000 new documents that dealt with nuclear weapons, which is a subject I've written about really ever since, uh, going back even earlier than the 70s. Um, And so we decided um, I wrote a book about that, and it kept growing and growing. Uh, and this
0: is the result. Who was Dr. Uh, Robert Conrad? Connard. Dr. Kennard, um
1: was actually a Navy officer when he was trained to be an atomic physician, so to speak. He was then at... Uh, Crossroads, the 1946 tests, first tests, uh, and that became his career. And he was part of a group that was put together after the Bravo test in 1954 uh, that saw the Rangelap Marshallese and other Marshallese brought to Kwajalein. And starting in 1956, he became uh, the chief medical officer to carry out these annual uh, examinations of the Marshallese who were exposed in 1954. And that became a basis of his career.
0: Is he still alive, by the way?
1: No, he died years ago.
0: I don't know how to pronounce it correctly but uh, the last name ANJAIN Engine Who was uh, who was the Angine family
1: Uh John Engine was the
0: magistrate of
1: Rongelap uh, in his 30s in effect the mayor Rongelap uh is one of the atolls in the Marshall Islands of which there is several atolls. And an atoll is, a, a, best in our way of doing it, think of a series of islands in a circle surrounding a lagoon. And it's a, a series of islands in Rongolap Atoll, but Rongolap Island is the major place where people lived and John Engine was in effect the mayor and he had uh, his wife and three sons and each one of them was affected uh, by the radiation fallout. How? Well, the youngest Coge, was actually just over a year when it came down. Um, and as the, I tried telling the story, although the first episodes with the Marshallese were that they showed signs of radioactive poisoning and uh, burning and skin hair loss, etc. It wasn't till nine years afterwards that they began showing the early signs of cancer, and particularly the younger people getting nodules on their thyroids, which, uh, as Dr. Kennard discovered it, led them to have surgery to take the nodules out for fear they'd become cancerous. Uh, but... Uh, Each member of the Angine family showed one or another sign. Uh, John Angine eventually showed signs of the nodule. His wife, however, got cancer and died. Uh, And then each of their sons had nodules taken out. And then uh, LeCouge, who literally was playing in the fallout as a child, Um, and the fallout got into water and a lot of them drank it, Uh, he not only had nodule taken out, uh, but then he had a terrible case of cancer and died.
0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Let me read um, something you have in your book from April the 9th, 1975. From Nelson and John, uncle of Lacoge, who had replaced his brother John as chief magistrate of Rongelap, wrote to Dr. Kennard about having, quote, learned a great deal after spending time, and I don't know how you pronounce the, is it Jensiuku? Yes. As a result, Anjine wrote, quote, I have made some decisions that I want you to know about. The main decision is that we do not want to see you again. We want medical care from doctors who care about us, not about collecting information for the US government's war makers. We've never really trusted you, so we're going to invite doctors from hospitals in Hiroshima to examine us in a caring way. Explain that, please. There was trauma.
1: Throughout this whole period, about uh, and particularly for Dr. Kennard, because on the one hand he did want to take care of the people who were exposed. On the other hand, as I said earlier, sad to say, it it became a, a living laboratory. But what happened was. Uh, Japanese anti-nuclear groups began using the Marshallese uh, in their anti-nuclear campaign, and uh, Nelson Anjine was brought to Japan uh, as other Ronglat people had been during their uh, the Japanese annual. Display of anti nuclear activity uh, at the time of Hiroshima, in memory of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They had demonstrations every year. And uh, the Marshallese, who had this uh, not only the tragedy of the exposure, but it upset their, their lives the way these very modest people um, living out alone in the mid-Pacific hardly with no touch to general civilization which kind of passed them by all their lives were overturned by this business Um, and some people took advantage of them and Nelson uh, particularly was angry at Um, they were depending on the Americans to give them food and clothing and uh, subsidy because they couldn't make a living on their own. Uh, They became totally dependent on the U.S. Uh, And Nelson was particularly angry coming out of this meeting in Japan, and that led to taking it out on uh, Dr. Kennard, and they did, uh, for a year,
0: refused to be examined, and then that changed. I'll come back, obviously, to the Marshall Islands, but just to read down the list of the nine countries in the world that have nuclear weapons. Russia came along in 1949—you can correct me on any of this, please. China, 1964, India, 1974, Pakistan, 1998, Great Britain, 1952, France, 1960, North Korea, 2006. Israel is—I don't quite understand. There doesn't seem to be much information on Israel because they've never admitted it. 1960, and the United States, of course, in 1945. When you hear those nine countries, what would you— What's your reaction to that? And how much? How many of those countries tested and did damage with radiation to people? Um, to be honest, um, the Bravo
1: test of 1954 that uh, hit the Marshallese with fallout is the most major example. Um, all the others who did testing, did them in areas uh, in which there was no known fallout. The French uh, tested in the uh, Pacific area, and there were claims that, that some of the uh, local people there were exposed. But nothing like this. The Bravo bomb, I have to say, was 15 megatons. It's the biggest bomb we ever tested. And there clearly were mistakes made uh, about the weather. But we didn't know that much about fallout um, because we had not seen it this way before, in part because we had... uh, Didn't have the measuring devices that you needed for the other big tests. But this was the biggest weapon the U.S. has ever exploded. Uh, And we never built one that big before. And in fact, it went off three times. It was supposed to be
0: five megatons.
1: And it tripled the output because they had a new way of triggering it.
0: What is the U.S. base at Kwajalein do today, which is one of the Marshall Islands. It's it's now a big base, and we use it um,
1: as a uh, aim point to test our own ICBMs, and also part of it uh, to test our when we're doing it our anti missile our defense. Systems. We fire test ICBMs from California uh, and they end up in or near
0: Kwajalein. Back in 1946 to 1956, 58, when we were testing on the Marshall Islands, how many people lived on those, and how many atolls did they live on at the time?
1: Well, there are probably eight or ten uh, atolls, but only two really uh, were victimized by the fallout from uh, the Bravo test. The irony is, when we tested in 1946, uh, a much lower yield atomic bombs uh, and didn't know that much, we moved people off Rongo Lab uh, when the tests went off in Bikini. Uh, and it was in 54 that they decided uh, even though they were testing a much more uh, powerful weapon uh, during the Eisenhower administration to save money, uh, they decided not to move them off Rongelap. And the fallout got to Rongelap, and then beyond Rongelap, another atoll called Uteric, uh got fallout uh, at a much lower level. But what makes people, it makes me particularly want to tell people the story of of nuclear weapons today is that even at Uteric, which got a much lower level of radiation from its fallout, uh, 10, 15 years later are beginning to show the same kind of nodules on their thyroids that turned up nine years after the use of the bomb in Rangelheim. So these weapons are much more dangerous than people think they are.
0: How many tests were done by the United States near the Marshall Islands? Sixty-seven. How many of them were atmospheric, underwater, underland?
1: Uh, I don't know. The numbers divided up. After uh, Bravo, which was tested from a tower... Uh, It wasn't dropped from a bomber. It wasn't put underwater. It was tested from a tower. They they moved the test, uh, a tower that was on top of uh, firm ground. They moved the test afterwards uh, into the lagoons, so they tested over water, and you didn't have, the kind of fallout uh, that you had from the Bravo bomb.
0: One of the most unusual things I read <clears throat> was the idea that uh, Marshall Island natives were moved, a group of them, to Springdale, Arkansas. Yes. Why? Um, originally, it was uh,
1: there were poultry plants. Um, and they were very good at working in plants. And once one or two, uh, or th- the, one of the things that was done for the Marshallese um, when they became independent was to allow them to come to the U.S. Uh, without visas uh, and work and stay as long as they wanted. Uh, And somehow they were recruited uh, into Arkansas, and once part of them got there, they brought their It's a very family-oriented society. Um, And uh, a whole group of them grew up there. How and many are still there.
0: How many people in the Marshall Islands were damaged physically after these tests? And did any of them die of, of the test?
1: Well, the, the, the one that's totally traced is Lakosh Angine. Uh, there were only 82 Rongo App people, men, women, and children who received this major dose of radiation, 120 miles away from where the bomb went off. Uh, There were 157 Marshallese on Uteric, which got about one-eighth to one-tenth the level, and for a much shorter time. Um, And they were the ones that were primarily exposed. In years since uh, the Marshallese people themselves, and it's a very tribal society, um, decided that that everyone who was alive at the time of the testing, not just of the Bravo bomb, which is where the fallout occurred, but from all the tests, uh, should be eligible. And so it went up into the thousands who were considered exposed. And therefore, when money was provided, uh, millions of dollars, it was divided not just for the people and Rongelap, who who did get more, but for all the Marshallese alive at the times, so the money was spread widely, and didn't cover everybody who was claiming they were affected.
0: What grade would you give the United States government in huh? in regard to this entire project and the way they dealt with uh, people from the Marshall Islands after the testing period?
1: About a C minus maybe a D we mistreated them from the beginning um, when the bomb went off uh, starting with the idea we didn't take them off the island when we began testing thermonuclear weapons in order to save money they shouldn't have been exposed at all Um Who do you blame? History of what we did. Part of it was we didn't know that much. Uh, The scientists had no idea about fallout. Um, The thing I learned reading the newer papers is that when Oppenheimer and the original Manhattan Project people had were deciding. Uh, to use to target Japan uh, because they didn't know what would happen if the fireball from an atomic weapon, the heat, uh, the main explosive heat, hit the ground. They detonated the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs 1,500 and 2,000 feet above ground. So there was no fallout of the type you saw in the Bravo test, and the Bravo test became the first time we ever saw that kind of uh, happening. And what makes nuclear weapons and, and and is one of the reasons I wanted to write this is because People have forgotten they think Hiroshima and Nagasaki when you talk about nuclear weapons. And if you didn't die as terrible as they were, you rebuilt the city. Uh, Because the targets now are on the ground or underground, were they ever to be used again, which I doubt will happen, but if they were ever used again and the numbers that exist, you would have them hitting the ground, and it wouldn't be like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It'd be like Chernobyl. Where one hit the ground, you couldn't live there for 40 years, because there's no way to clean it up. And that's the other part of, of what I was trying to make people understand. With what happened, I mean, nobody lives on Rongelap now. Nobody lives on Bikini because the ground itself is contaminated to a degree you couldn't clean it up.
0: But where do they live in um, in the Marshall Islands? Huh?
1: Uh, they live uh, some on other Marshall Islands. There's Ebay as a and Majuro is the capital. Um, but uh, there's been a big movement to Hawaii for those who could and a movement to the U.S.
0: Who, who owns the Marshall Islands today? What's the relationship with the United States? And I'll throw in this one. What's the compact of free association?
1: Well, that was the agreement uh, to give the Marshall Islands independence. Um, it's a U.N. agreement, but it's agreement with the United States and the Marshall Islands, which is a separate government um, on its own. They have their own president, um, and uh, the agreement gave them a, a big chunk of money, uh, which wasn't enough to take care of them. And the uh, islands sort of exist on their own. the Rongelap has its own uh, mayor still, who lives in Majuro. And uh, so Bikini has their own government. Uh, The atolls are like states, and they're part of the Marshall Islands. And uh, the Marshall Islands have their own government.
0: What relationship do they have to citizenship in the United States now?
1: Uh, They don't. And the agreement uh, that allows them to work here uh, runs out in 2023. And at that point, I'm assuming it will be extended. Um, but um, who knows, it's something that has to be renegotiated because of the government of the Marshall Islands and uh, the United States government.
0: Because of uh, military, military based on Kwajalein, how much money do we pay the people of Marshall, the Marshall Islands to be there?
1: It's in the millions and it's a, as I said, a tribal government. And the money uh, goes to the former owners of the land. And uh, they still have a system of chiefs. And the current chief, uh, called an Eros, uh Two or three of them are the majority landowners and they get most of the money.
0: On the back of your book there is an endorsement by Andrea Mitchell of NBC News. I want to read it and then have you uh, fill in the blanks. Walter Pincus's scathing expose of how our nation's nuclear pioneers devastated the people of the Marshall Islands is a tour de force. Using previously undiscovered declassified intelligence, Pinkus rewrites the history of the birth of the atomic age, revealing an astounding cover-up on an unimaginable scale. Blown to Hell is a spellbinding scientific detective story, a must-read for anyone who wants to learn about one of the worst governmental abuses in history. Is there anything that she said you want to quarrel with?
1: No, I, I feel uh, very strongly about uh, the whole story. It's um, from the beginning of the nuclear age when we used two of these weapons to end the war. Uh, they're terror weapons. They've always been terror weapons. But because of the secrecy uh People don't really understand it, uh, and then we got into a ridiculous arms race. Um, but what what got me originally to expand the book was reading about the original tests at Crossroads and how little we knew uh, about what these weapons could do. What was Crossroads? Crossroads was the first test two tests in uh, Bikini to test atomic bombs when we were just beginning to make them. And uh, the first test was dropped from an airplane and actually missed the target. The second test, uh, but because it missed the target, a lot of the press coverage undercut how how terrible the bomb it was, you which know, the results of the explosion. Then we tested it underwater and it it was the first time we should have learned about fallout because um, the water came up very little sand was drawn up, it was mostly water, but it was radioactive water. And we had 60 or 70 ships in the harbor um, as targets. And when the Navy tried to start cleaning them off, getting rid of the radiation, they found out they couldn't do it. That the radioactive material stuck to the wood, stuck to canvas, stuck to ropes. Uh, in the end, almost every target ship had to be sunk because we couldn't clean them off. Uh we should have learned from that, but we didn't.
0: You have a couple of chapters titled Media One and Media Two. Right. And, and the reason I bring it up is because you mentioned a couple of reporters for the New York Times who you've I probably knew but you followed uh, in your research, Hansen Baldwin of the New York Times, and Bill Lawrence of the New york times now what about those two reporters uh led you to want to write about them in the book? Uh,
1: Bill Lawrence was a science reporter who uh during the first during the Manhattan Project, actually worked temporarily. Uh, at helping them do the public relations, writing releases. Actually, the release President Truman made when the first bombs were announced after Hiroshima. Uh, And to be honest, (laughs) when I was a copy boy on the New York Times, I worked delivered mail to Hanson Baldwin. Um, who was the military correspondent for the New York Times and and made his appointments when he went to Washington and was just hugely impressed about uh, the role Hanson Baldwin played in journalism uh, as a military correspondent and uh, how important he was uh, not just for the public to read about what was going on, but also for the uh, military to get their view of things out. So he became somebody I thought about a lot as my career kept going.
0: You you talked, though, about when these tests were held that what we forget about is what else was going on in the world, and you mentioned and I don't remember the exact story, but Baldwin had a front-page piece one day, and the next day the follow-up was on page 31. Um, What else was going on during these times of testing, and how prominent was the reporting in The Times, or for that matter, The Washington Post? It's
1: it's something I've become very strongly uh, feeling about, and that is we tend to forget as we write history what else was going on? And what was going on back in the 50s uh, was the McCarthy period. And we were worried about communism. And it's, um, I think, and I'm not a historian really by trade, but um, I think it's very important. It's its a lesson I must admit I learned it in nine eleven. Um, but people forget what else is going on as they look back. And since I was in, in Washington on 9-11, I remember how people felt and how much fear there was in the town uh, that there was going to be another attack. Uh, and other attacks were planned, and... and uh, I was covering that time, and you look back at it now, and there's been no attack since then, and people forget what it was like back then. You gave the and U.S. Were-
0: Go ahead. Go ahead, Walter.
1: Uh it It's something that comes up all the time, that uh, as a reporter, you're focused on what you're writing about, and you don't think in broader terms. And um, I, because of the way I, my career has gone, I was writing about bad things happening. And oftentimes, particularly when it's involved in an individual, you kept thinking, well, were they thinking when they did what they did? Um, They had other things on their mind. They were dealing with other activities, and the mistake they made, that may have been an honest mistake because there are other
0: things happening. Earlier, you gave the U.S. government a C minus, or maybe even a D. Can you blame anybody by name and how much untruths for being spoken from what you've seen back in those days?
1: Oh, it it uh, Admiral Strauss, who was head of the a Atomic Energy Commission, uh, originally uh, made false statements, lied about what happened uh to the Marshallese in the early days after uh, the Bravo bomb went off. he claimed. They were all happy. They hadn't been affected. There was no medical problem. At the very time, uh, they were suffering from burns and their blood counts were bad. Uh, he, at one point, uh, another part of the Bravo test was, was a Japanese fishing boat uh, that was outside the threat area. But was uh hit by the fallout as were the Marshallese um we lied about them and and Strauss at one point claimed that they were uh pro-communist and that they were spying on the test
0: when in fact they weren't is this the lucky dragon that's the lucky dragon what's the story about the lucky dragon
1: well, there were twenty-three seamen on board, and they were all affected the same way the Marshallese were. But they didn't get back to port for two weeks, and back to Japan. Back to back to Japan, and uh, when they got back, uh, it became uh, a big issue in Japan when it was uh, they announced that they had been hit by fallout and uh, they too were sick and treated and uh, one or two of them died within months and uh, the Japanese looked at it as the third attack by the U.S. on Japan (laughs) Um, but we took years to take care of them.
0: Earlier, we talked about the nine countries that have nuclear weapons. Uh, what's your best number? As I was reading the number, uh, trying to find out the number of warheads in the world, nuclear warheads. I saw everything from thirteen thousand to nineteen thousand. Do you have a Do you have a number that you're uh, comfortable with?
1: Well, they it varies because we have. Cut back, and I mean, between us and the Russians, we we're in the tens of thousands each. We had one time thirty thousand. Um, there's no country outside um, the U.S. and Russia that are over a thousand. Uh, we probably have four thousand now of the Russians, uh, somewhere around that. Um, but uh, other countries are in the hundreds.
0: Uh, of Russia, China, India, Pakistan, Great Britain, France, North Korea, Israel, United States, who do you worry about the most when it comes to being trigger-happy with a nuclear bomb? It,
1: it, it, I don't think anybody who's been close to the bomb or knows about it directly is trigger happy Um, I've just wrote a piece um, in my column that uh, if you go listen uh, there are uh, transcripts in the Miller Center at the University of Virginia from members of staff of presidents since Jimmy Carter And I just picked out um, from uh, George H.W. Bush, Colin Powell, and, uh, of all people, Dick Cheney. And during the trouble, early trouble with Saddam Hussein operation, uh, when we retook Kuwait, uh, Cheney actually thought... uh, if um, Saddam Hussein used chemical weapons as he was threatening against American troops, we might have to answer with, or at least make the threat of nuclear weapon use. And if you read the transcript, Colin Powell not only was against the idea of using nuclear weapons, he was against the uh, use of any nuclear weapons by the army and that's a view uh, that I knew existed in the army because nobody knows what would happen if you actually used a weapon uh, where you know who would be left where could you go what's the radiation was too much uh, I know several former commander of strategic command, who were anti-nuclear and don't believe any American president would ever order the use of nuclear weapons. Uh, The scientists, of course, were dead against it. Um, It's an unknown. They are terror weapons. They were used to end a war, not to fight a war. And uh, one of the ways people have, uh, have gone off... Um, is thinking you could use them to fight a war. Uh, You can't. But they have had the effect of deterring conventional confrontation between nuclear powers. And so they've become diplomatic weapons between countries. And then internally, as they are in our country, they're uh, Political weapons you use against you haven't use against your political enemy. He's not tough. He hasn't built this kind of. Well, we're going through it right now uh, with this new Chinese, supposed Chinese weapon. Uh, it poses a quote nuclear threat. Uh, so we've got to build the same kind of thing. when the fact is, you know if one weapon were used, nobody knows what would happen afterwards.
0: You've been reporting for a long time and <laughs> and uh you you even got a law degree late in your life in two thousand and one right. at, at, at georgetown university you You worked at the Washington post until 2015 and you're still writing um, what do you think of the new age of communications and where do you write and how useful is it how many how much feedback do you get and who who reads you
1: uh, I write a column for what's called the cipher brief which is I like to say mostly the audience I had to post it's about 30,000. People who are very interested in national security affairs. Um, I do it once a week. I used my column used to be in the post twice a week. so I've cut back. Um, but it it does uh, I have an office in my house, uh, which I'm sitting in right now. Uh, and I just think you have to participate. And uh, you just try to make things better. That's what journal- I got into journalism in the old days, uh, when you were trying to make have an impact.
0: What is your sense of how big an impact you have when you write for um, The Cypher compared oh, yeah. to when you wrote for uh, The Post? And can you have just as much influence now as you used to have?
1: Oh, clearly not. I mean, it's... The post in the last year or two had me go on Twitter. Um, Journalism has changed a lot. And analytical uh, journalism, which is what I did when I started writing a column maybe 15 years ago, um, it doesn't work as well in the new era of Twitter, uh, Facebook, and uh, streaming video. uh, People don't spend that much time reading. It's ironic. Um, You're reaching more people Uh, but with lesser details. And I think um, journalism now more is about presenting people with arguments. Um, But arguments have to be based on facts. And we now have this terrible situation where people have their own facts. which to me is is difficult to have a democracy when people don't agree on facts.
0: Walter Haskell Pincus was born in Brooklyn, New York. He served in the United States Army, 55 to 57. As he said earlier, he worked as a copy boy for the New York Times and served for a very long time as a reporter and analyst for the Washington Post. The name of his book, Blown to Hell, subtitled, America's Deadly Betrayal of the Marshall Islanders. Thank you very much, Mr. Pincus.
1: Brian, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcasts at c-span.org.